This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Thank you for being here. How to Sell broad, a Branded Podcasts Like a Pro. This is, um, this is a good turnout for a panel that's not about video. This is, this is pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, I like it. Uh, so let me tell you who's here. Julia Kelly is to my immediate left, your immediate right. Uh, she's senior manager of ad sales at Wondery. Next to her is Andy Kelly, senior vice president of custom podcasts for iHeartMedia. Shantae Howell is here, director of ACAST Creative for the Americas. All of the, that's... Big territory. You got North America, South America, Miss America. You got all of it. Uh, next to her is Jonathan uh, Dianora. You know, I've known you a long time. Do you prefer Dianora or Dianora? It's Dianora. Yeah, you've been doing it wrong for two years. You learn something every day. Yeah, I know. Okay, we're going to call him Jonathan. Uh, he's the Director of Revenue Partnerships for CNN Audio, and we're honored to have you here. And then, of course, the inimitable Tom Webster, partner of Sounds Profitable. Thank you for being here. How many uh, times have you been on stage this week, Tom? 600. 600. Very good. You, value left to give. <laughs> you give good panel. We thank you for, for being here. So, oh, and me, Dave Beezing from Sound That Brands, as you heard from her. Thank you. We had a a really cool event at the last podcast movement uh, evolutions called the Branded Breakfast. And there was a quote there that I loved, uh, more than one, but I'll cite this one. It said that an ad changes how you feel about a product. A branded podcast changes how you feel about the people who work at the company, about the brand itself. Tom is the guy who said that. And uh, so my first question, Tom, do you still feel that way? And if not, please leave. Um. No, I mean, I think, you know, an ad, an ad is something you do to prompt an action, right? But before you can prompt that action, people have to be receptive to it, right? They have to, they have to feel like, you know, this is, this is a place I would like to put my money. I'm not in the market for a mattress right now, but like, I, I believe in this company. And I think what a branded podcast does is something entirely different than what an ad does. A branded podcast changes how you think about a company so that when you do hear an ad and not in that podcast, that you are receptive to it, right? So if, you, if you're a company that wants to change how people think about you, I think that's what a branded podcast is great for. And as a researcher, you watch the trends. Uh, does that matter? Is it mattering more and more what people think of a brand? It does. It matters uh, in incredibly, right? I mean, there, we have uh, so many choices now that, you know, people, it's kind of a cliche that, you know, you figure out your why and people buy your why. People don't buy your why. They really don't. They buy your how. They buy your how. Like, did you, do you do this thing better than someone else? Uh, but that story behind a brand is, more, is a screen out as much as anything. And if you can remove the screen out for people, then they are receptive to the how that you do things. And I think, again, that's what a branded podcast is really good at. So by screen out, you mean 
they may decide not to choose that brand because they have bad feelings about that brand. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, we have so many choices about things that I, I think we're all looking for ways to pare those choices down as quickly as we can. Uh, Jonathan, uh, Dianora or Dianora? Dianora. Okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> now I'm really confused. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan, I rely on you at these conventions and in between as well for a good handle on the trends in the industry. Uh, what's going on? Uh, who's moving where? What's happening? What, what people are spending money on and, and all of that. Uh, give us your outlook, if you would, please. Uh, what's happening with branded podcasts? Yeah, um, it, it's evolving and it's getting very popular and trendy and everyone wants to be a part of it. Uh, 2018, it was about DAI and how do we insert ads and 2019 was attribution and branded podcast is this year. Um, and then the question is, how do you do it and how do you build it and should I have one? And, and I don't think people know that yet. I, the playbook is being built as we speak and companies like SoundNet Brands and people who have been there and been successful are doing a great job explaining how that works, especially in this um, environment this year. So this is the year that you're hearing a lot of it, I guess? I, yeah. I, that sounds optimistic and I'm ex getting excited, but that's kind of what I heard. I've been in five panels just kind of observing, and three of them were about branded content and how to do it and how to crack the nut. Like We're going to dive into this probably of how do we get discoverability and, and how do you grow an audience, but three out of five is a pretty good odds when I'd, I'd never been in one before. Mar March in LA was the first one that was dedicated to branded podcast. Great, great. Um, Shante, we're going to get to the creative side soon. I want to ask you, Andy, you are SVP of custom podcasts. So I'm wondering if we have misnamed this session. Should it be called how to sell custom podcasts? No, I think, uh, I think branded content has a little bit of a sort of black eye. And I think that's because it's really hard to do very well. Um, and so what we wanted to do was create an offering for our clients that felt very custom, even if that isn't uh, a full branded series. So if that's not an eight to 12 episode series, if it's, a, if it's a limited four episode run, if it's an interesting sort of mini cast type of thing. So what we wanted to do is not box it into just branded podcasts, but rather how do we create custom solutions for our clients? So you don't find that there's a stigma to the term branded podcasts and you don't mind referring to them that way? No, not at all. I think, okay. I think the, the problem that we face is how do you tell a meaningful story with a brand? Um, and a lot of times brands have some muscle memory from other forms of media. So I gotta say the tagline. I gotta put the logo everywhere. I have to interview the CMO. Make the logo bigger. Make the logo bigger <laughs> and just interview our people on really dry subjects. So we're trying to get them to get out of that muscle memory and to take some risks and to tell stories because that's what podcast listeners are glomming onto. Um, I think anyone can kind of shout you know, from the mountaintops of their own, their own sort of uh, what their company stands for and what they mean, but if you don't wrap that in a story and if you don't bring the right voices and the right guests into it, it's gonna fall on deaf ears. No one's gonna come to it. Um, and you also have to have the right promotion. How do you build an audience around that? So it's great storytelling matched with the right promotional strategy. 
Julia, who who should do a branded podcast? Let's talk about the types of brands or companies, either by category or maybe there's a subset within lots of categories that we're talking about here. Who should do a branded podcast? Sure. Um, well, with my sales hat on, which I can't take off, um, I would say everybody, right? But, um, you know, as a client consultant, which I pride myself on being first and foremost, um, you know, I, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, clients and, and advertisers that want to do a branded podcast, um, you know, I want to say yes, but maybe the time, uh, you have to be strategic about your timing. You have to be really um, clear about the story that you want to be telling. I never want someone to say, I hear branded podcasts are a thing now. I should do that, right? Because to Andy's point, right, yeah, you're going to say, let's interview the CMO or let's interview, you know, employees. And sure, that's a meaningful story as well, and that's great. But, um, you know, we want to make sure that uh, it's a, a, a real passion that they're having and, and a real good story to tell. Um, I think for the first time in a lot of our careers, we're actually empowered to bring out of the box really splashy fun, kind of first to market, those all those buzzy, you know, kind of taglines that we get. Um, we're really empowered to do that with branded podcasts. It's it's a new thing, like, you know, like Jonathan was saying, the playbook is being built right now by us and by our clients and advertisers. Um, but to answer, you know, the first part of your question, we're seeing it run the gamut, right? So CPG, telco, uh, you know, recruitment, um, biotech, like every, you know, a lot of different people are, are interested and, and, you know, really excited about the opportunity. I think the common thread is, um, you know, just telling the story in a new, innovative, and exciting way, um, you know, kind of revamping the brand strategy and, and just really, you know, kind of harnessing the power of something that, you know, to everyone's point here, is really new and exciting. So, so, so let's talk about the who of branded podcasts, who's right for a branded podcast, not just in terms of the brand, but the buyer, the person that is making that decision. Is there a stereotype there? Who are we talking about? Is there a stereotype there? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I think that it's something, um, you know, we, we talk about this all the time that you kind of have to be really all in. We find the most successful uh, branded content podcasts and anything that we do in that arena, um, you know, we're giving it our go. We're giving it 100% of what we're doing, um, you know, promoting it and finding the listeners and, um, you know, really providing really immersive storytelling experience. But um, on the client end, the most successful times that we see something, you know, really blow it out of the park, hit it out of the park, um, is when they're really pushing uh, things on their end too. So really being passionate about it, really, you know, kind of pushing it out on their O&O and, and just everybody really has to be on board um, for it to be a good experience. So um, just really getting on that train and everybody kind of holistically pushing it forward. So Jonathan, you referred to this, the, the package that you put together for a client is going to include a lot more than the branded podcast, right? Uh, you need to promote that podcast. You need to make sure somebody hears it, even depending on uh, what their expectations are. Somebody needs to hear it, right? Um, tell us about that and how you package things together. Yeah, so um, you know, at CNN, we have 250 million uniques a month on the website. We have a TV. We have a newsletter. We have smart speaker integrations. We have podcasts. Um, and to say you create a branded podcast and that's all will get you nowhere. You have to utilize all the different things that are out there. And unfortunately, the, the goalpost is moving every year. You know, one time it was promoted on a podcast, and now everyone does that, and the effectiveness has dipped. Now, if you look anywhere you go, and your packets that are in your bags, QR codes is a new hot thing, but that's going to eventually dip because people are going to get past that. So you have to be aware of where your audience is and how you want to reach them 
Um, and it, it's changing. Like, it's constantly changing. And, and Tom has always uh, educated me in every one of these things, on where people are listening, how they listen, and what's affecting their habit. So you have to just be aware of it and then and adjust it accordingly. So, Tom, you're not a podcast salesperson, but you play one on TV. Um, what would you put in a deck? What, what's your advice to podcast salespeople about uh, the benefits of branded podcasts and what they should say to their clients? You know, you asked me this, and I think you asked me this the last time, that uh, uh, you, know, you, need to, you need to commission a study. Like, there's not enough research in this he space. He is a salesman. There's wow. not. Well, I'm not selling research anymore, so I can say this. You need to do it. Uh, and it's really hard to do... Uh, I shouldn't say it's hard to do branded podcast research, but you have to be, uh, you have to have a, a tolerance for ambiguity, right? And I, I, we can talk about the benefits of branded podcasts, and I think we, you know, it's common sense. We know how they work, but there, there simply hasn't been enough work on it. There's, there's been work on uh, true sponsorship, and I've, I've spoken about that before. It does, in fact, change how people feel about brands and the, and the people who work, uh, work at brands. But, you know, the economics of branded podcasts as of yet have not supported that kind of research. So, you know, get on the stick. Like, yep. make All it right. happen, Dave. Challenge accepted. Branded, uh, no, true sponsorship you just mentioned. And branded podcasts would be an example of that. What are, so everybody gets the term, and there has been some research done about true sponsorship, correct? Uh, yeah. What else is included in that category? Yeah, uh, anytime uh, a, a, a program is simply brought to you by a company, right, and it's not accompanied by uh, a, a pitch or features, benefits, and all that, just like this, uh, this panel is, you know, brought to you by Nielsen, right? That's it. There's no, there, there's no other kind of uh, message being delivered there, just Here's something you might like, and it was brought to you, made possible by these people, and that changes how you feel about those people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, Andy, what do you put, is, how close is Tom? What goes in the deck? Uh, what, what uh, your first presentation, your first meeting with somebody that might be a candidate for this, uh, what do you tell them? Yeah, usually the brands that we're talking to uh, are already leaning in on wanting to do some sort of custom audio. It's with some of the brands that we work with, they have a ton of content in TV, digital, social. They're trying to figure out audio and they're trying to figure out a meaningful way into audio. And so the first thing really we start off with is if we're going to build something from scratch, it's got to be a great idea. So what is the story that we're going to tell? But then secondly, here's how we're going to build audience, an audience of zero to audiences of hundreds of thousands or millions very quickly. I think that that's what's key, is making sure that you can convince the client that someone's going to listen to this. And it doesn't have to be millions of listeners. We're working with pharma companies right now that want to reach 3,000 neurologists, right? So how do you make sure that you make the client feel good that we're going to reach the target audience? And then how do you measure it? So making sure that, say, this is exact, these are the exact type of metrics that you're going to get on a weekly or biweekly basis. This is what a mid-campaign report looks like. This is what an end-of-campaign report looks like. And here's what a third-party measurement study, whether that's through Nielsen or Millward Brown, 
here's how we do them. And guess what? After this call, we're going to follow up with our head of research, schedule a call to understand what are those KPIs that we should be measuring. So those are really the things. It comes down to story, promotion, measurement. Um, and those are the things that clients really need to get over the hump. Julia, do you find that it's you and your team who bring up the idea of some uh, brand integration content first, or is it usually the client who brings it up first and uh, asks you questions about it? We find that clients usually have an interest or at least an acorn of an idea of the story that they want to tell. Um, but we also ensure that our sales team is well equipped and understands, you know, exactly what a branded content, you know, podcast would be and what it entails. Um, so, you know, we like to get creative, but typically the client will um, show some interest first. So there's some interest. And finally, we get to you, Shante. Uh, these people or their counterparts at ACAST give you a call. And they say, Shante, Zoom uh, Wednesday at 10. We got, we got a live one uh, on the line here. Um, uh, be ready. How do you prep for that meeting? Yeah, I think for me, it's really about getting to know the audience. When it comes to branded content, the way that I think about storytelling is like everything needs to be in service of the audience. I'm thinking about what do those listeners care about? How can we give them a little bit of a nugget of something more through the lens of a brand? So like right now, we're working on a project with State Farm, and we're thinking about what does it mean to like tell stories from road trips that folks have had past. And we're telling stories from everyday regular folks, but we're also telling stories through the lens of our podcasters. Some of them are actually like bringing in family members that they don't normally give access to on their feeds. Some of them are having conversations with each other that they're normally not having those kinds of conversations on their feeds because they keep that kind of journalistic integrity when they're talking through the lens of their day-to-day their -day show. So I think that's how you can kind of draw folks in. And so audience development and bringing folks into those stories is really where my team is thinking about storytelling. Do you go into that first meeting with some ideas of your own, having been briefed, uh, or do you just play it chill and, 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 and hold back? Sometimes I play it chill, but I always have an idea. Um, because <laughs> brand ideas that. are bad. They're really bad. They're not good. Um, and so it's nice to come in and be like, that's a great idea. What if we rework we it into this thing that like, I have a deck for if you want to see it next time? Um, so I think it's always good to just kind of come prepared, come with the research needed um, to back things up and make sure that you're just able to kind of counsel in a way that's, again, in service of the audience. Because if you're in service of the audience, you're going to be in service of the brand by extension. So when you start talking ideas with a client, um, you mentioned State Farm as an example, and I assume that the agreement has been signed on State Farm. Oh, yeah, it's, it's coming. Okay. It was a All couple right. weeks, so yeah. That's, nobody can pounce on State Farm. That one's done. Uh, but do you worry about that, that you might go into a meeting with a great idea for State Farm, and after the meeting, because the deal's not done yet, uh, they have a great meeting with one of these other folks uh, and strike a deal that they like, and somehow in a brainstorm session, your idea comes up? I think that's a risk anywhere you are and anywhere you go. I think what I have so much confidence in is our sales team, who's incredible, who works on an audience development strategy that really taps into the power of our network and our creators to make sure that we're doing all the work needed to make sure that it is getting to the right ears and drawing that audience in. And I think that's, again, why we're bringing in our podcasters into these shows and drawing out their story, those stories from them, because they're so unique um, in their different perspectives. And I think 
that is probably true of any network you could go to, but we are telling stories that we specifically know our podcasters have a right to tell, and that makes it so that there's nowhere else you would go but ACAST when we're pitching a certain concept. So let's, um, let's try a little role-playing exercise here. I will be the client. Oh, God. And <laughs> you will be Shantae. Uh, I am. We are, ty <laughs> we are typecasting, but we'll get through it. Um, so, uh, you know, my family and I have been making these really cool ice chests for 75 years. Do you say ice chips? Ice chess, excuse me. I don't you know, even know what that you is. take them to your kid's soccer game or baseball oh, okay. game or camping yeah, or whatever. Like a Coleman, Coleman like a situation. Coleman, okay, except we're not you. Coleman. Okay. Cool, cool. We're better that's than Coleman. <laughs> In fact, that's the point. We're better than Coleman. And, you know, we have, uh, you know, my brother in law, the scientist, he came up with a way to make the ice chess a lot cooler than, uh, than Coleman. And we need to tell that story. Maybe I'll host. What do, what do you think? Awful. <laughs> Awesome. I'm ready to write a really big check. Really big. Dave, I think that is a wonderful backstory, and I think we can really bring the spirit of that into the branded podcast by thinking about where folks are using your product. So where would you say that folks are really tapping into the power of those, you know, ice, what did you call them? Ice, ice coolers, chest. ice chests, I don't know. What are, where do you think folks are like tapping into that innovation? Where are they really finding the most use of it? What was the question, sir? Where are folks finding the most use of your cooler? Like, where oh, do you find? Are probably camping is number one. That's 23%. Yeah. Okay. That's then, a really helpful insight. Yeah. Yeah. And so, then second would be um, youth sports, and third would be back to camping. Okay. I, I <laughs> that, I think, is really something we could dig into a bit more. So perhaps we're telling stories around, you know, the folks who did different sports growing up and, like, what that taught them along the way about themselves. There's so much that's tied to mental health and body positivity, but we also see a lot happening in the sports industry right now where folks are struggling a bit with their mental health and finding that balance. So that could be a really interesting angle to tap into through the lens. That's good, right? Give her a hand. That was, not that was really good. Questions. Unfortunately, I though, I'm going to take a meeting with Andy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, Andy, what's this going to cost me to do this brilliant podcast? So do much the money. podcast that Dave. I just pitched? Are we this, doing that? This ice chest idea is going to be very expensive. Okay. I, I, I was telling the creative person I was going to spend a lot of money, but with you, I need to negotiate. Uh, it won't be that much. Uh, and, and I'm going to use Shantae's idea. I, I see where she's coming Feels from. Feels right. What's it going to cost me? Uh, we have a, a really unique model at, at iHeart. I think um, one of the things that I found in 2015, 2016, when we were first starting to make podca branded podcasts uh, with large brands, um, was that they would pay a lot of money for the production and for the talent and for the guests. And the shows would be really, really good, really good shows but no one would listen to them. Uh, so a couple of footwear companies and rideshare companies spent a pretty penny to make shows um, that got 2,500, 3,000 listens. Um, and so when we started to create a team that was just focused on building custom podcasts with brands, we wanted to flip that model on its head, which was if a brand commits to a, me a, a minimum media spend with iHeart, then iHeart will absorb the hard costs of producing that show. 
Okay. Um, and so what that does is a couple of things. One, it allows our clients to tap into their media budgets instead of production budgets or innovation budgets or something of that sort. Um, and two, it shows that iHeart's putting a lot of skin in the game. We actually do spend quite a bit of money to make these podcasts. And so that's where it de-risks the investment for the client in that we sell a media plan. We sell guaranteed audio impressions that doesn't have anything to do with the downloads of the show. Right. So every download and stream on that podcast is just cream on the top. Um, I'm getting a little bit too in the weeds of our financial model, but the, what we point, do the point is we want brands to know that iHeart is all in, um, which like Julie said, extremely important. And, and two is that there's enough promotion there that we have confidence that we're going to reach their audience and do that well. Um, and so we have you know, varying thresholds depending on what type of category and brand, but it's pretty significant. So Julia, the podcast comes out and the client is going to measure their success. No marketing discussion is complete without KPIs. Um, what, what are they going to be looking at or what do you recommend they look at, look at to measure success? Yeah, so we would recommend that they focus on, you know, upper funnel metrics. So brand affinity, brand familiarity, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And no matter how much you stress those things, don't they still bring up downloads? Yes, they certainly do. Uh, I think I think communication is key, right? So um, as we've all you know said many times, it's it's a new new waters to navigate, right? So just being really clear about what the expectations are in the pitch stage when it closes, clear communication about what is expected from all ends um, has has helped tremendously. Is there anything, Jonathan, that you would say don't make that a KPI? Yeah. So um, the one thing I, I look at in branded podcast is you know, are numbers going up. What you don't want to do is on episode one have 20,000 listens and then it just drops off to 500. Um, and that happens because people hear it and the, co the content maybe is not that great, the topics are not appealing, but also the brands need to invest their power as well to promote it, their social, their, you know, their video feeds. And when you do that and you do it consistently, as long as it doesn't drop, then everything is good. But I, I, I measure downloads if they're going up, if they're going down, I don't measure downloads. <laughs> um, but, but that's the one thing I do look at is like, is, are people talking about it? Have they stopped talking about it? And for renewals or for like continuation, if it's still going up, yeah, it's, it's, we're growing. If it's, if it's dipping and it's dropping or people are not talking about it or you're getting bad press, um, cut your losses, put it in the, in the vault and uh, tell that CMO they, they got what they wanted and they got their branded podcast for you know, their name on it. So. Should the, that schedule that they buy, uh, should it only promote the podcast or is it supposed to sell some product and promote the podcast? Can you do both? I, I think you can. Um, I think the product and the promotion comes before the branded podcast. Uh, you wouldn't do a behind the music VH1 special before the band was successful, right? The band needs to be out there and have an album before you can talk about how it was made or the, the hardship of creating that album. So I think you need to build the brand, have awareness, promote the product, and then use that media buy and, and push to really drive the core community of like, this is what we're doing. This is why you should listen to X podcast about Ice boxes? Ice boxes, yes. It's not about the ice box. It's not yes. like ice box, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Coolers. They're a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, should, should, should we be, 
I'll be the client again. Should we be thinking, Shante, about um, some other form of brand integration? Other, I don't want to get completely off subject here, but we're not. Uh, other ways to integrate a brand into podcasting other than a standalone podcast? Maybe Dr. Sanjay Gupta could do an hour about how important it is to keep food cold at baseball games. You know? I don't, I don't think that's the quite, quite no. the right integration that you're looking for, but I think we can look to some of our other sports podcasters, for example, and have them have the type of conversations that we might look to create a net new podcast around. That can even be a way that we're thinking about audience development, is having your feed be a net new storytelling podcast about those like you know instrumental sports experiences that folks had growing up, how it impacted them then and now, but you can also have existing podcasters also tell those stories on their feed in a way that feels like native to that environment. Are we talking about separate feeds involving existing talent or existing feeds involving existing talent? We do both. We like to do this thing called feed drop. So for example, with the State Farm podcast, we do have our podcasters serving as guests on that podcast. And then their episodes will then also feed drop on their feeds. And so that's a way that we can also guarantee some listenership as well. Who's, if I may ask, who's going to be hosting that? Is the, one of your people? Uh, we actually, it's not hosted. So each person is kind of hosting their own episode, which is a really special way to just kind of make it a nice narrative podcast. So our team went out and interviewed folks. We pulled that out of the audio, so you will not hear me croaking on any episode. Um, and then we worked with the podcasters to build out that narration as they're telling their story. So Andy, what's the renewal rate on, on this stuff? What uh, Are we talking one and done? I think for custom content, it's always hard because it's a shiny object and it's something that usually someone's really passionate about. And sometimes it is just a single story that, that they want to tell. Um, we do see a very high renewal rate on our custom podcasts for a couple of reasons. I think number one is justifying the ROI with some of the upper funnel KPIs that we like to define really upfront and proving those out through the third party measurement studies, through performance analytics, and through just show sentiment of how people are feeling about the show. Um, we have one show called The Restless Ones. It's going into season four right now. We, you know, two seasons of uh, The Pleasure is Ours, uh, two and a half seasons of the really cute Scott's Miracle Grow show called Humans Growing Stuff. That show. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. That means a ton. We, we love that show too. It's so great. Um, so we see a really, really high renewal rate in seasons one and two. I think the way that marketing teams work, brands work, Season three, three years in, it's usually not even the same team that you started the first pitch with. And so you see turnover, you see churn, but we really want brands to start creating IP that's extremely valuable to them. So if you can create a show um, that the brand is really proud of, that also listeners start to gravitate towards, and it becomes one of their favorite, you know, favorite shows, favorite things, favorite hosts, favorite topics, uh, that can also translate to other things. We did, so in terms of product integration, should brands always make their own show? We had Lincoln Motors come into uh, our very first telenovela podcast called The Princess of South Beach, um, which was ranked by Spotify as one of the best shows of 2021. We wrote them into the show itself, and we did 36 episodes in English, 36 in Spanish, 
And that show now is being optioned for television. So it's really, really, really cool to see what you can do with brands and how powerful that can be. Um, so anyway, the long-winded way of saying we, we, we see really strong renewal rates in early seasons, but we try to say, hey, you're not just creating a show, you're creating valuable IP. And, and you're also creating a subscriber base. I'm, I'm not sure why a brand would want to give that up if it was healthy. Yeah, yeah exactly right. So, um, so Julia, um, let, let me, we'll role play again. I'll be the, now I'll be one of your salespeople on your, your staff. Um, Julia, I, okay, I just got off a call with a client and they're talking about some branded content. Um, it's so much hard work and I don't know where to start on that. And you know, what if nobody listens? We, do, we go to all this trouble to build a podcast and nobody listens. Uh, we throw a party and nobody comes. Um, host reads are so much easier for me to sell. I sell them all day, every day. I'm just going to sell them some host reads. I talked them out of, I told them brand pod, branded podcasts are dumb, although they're meeting with Jonathan later, so we'll see what happens. Uh, what do you say to that salesperson? Well, I would say, you're in trouble, sir. What are you talking about? No, um, I think, you know, I mean, it really is a consultative process, right? Um, so really just empowering the sellers to understand, you know, yeah, it is a heavy lift, but, uh, you know, it's worth it, right? And if your client is really interested in it, we it's our job to really deliver on that ask. Um, and, you know, obviously walking them through, like, yeah, it's a, it, it is a big lift, but we were able to do it, and we do it well. So, um, you know, just kind of talking them off the ledge. <laughs> Jonathan, you... you, 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 um, you specialize in brand partnerships and Andy specializes in his title custom podcast is it is, am I getting here that it's a thing it's a smart thing to have someone on staff who can handle these special things beyond the host reads yeah um, definitely so last night I was with an agency partner at dinner and I asked a question and I said how many people do you call on if you had to send a mass email out to all your podcast vendors how many people is that? How many vendors do you have on your Volodex? And it was like 35 or 37, right? So if you don't have a brand partnership lead, if you don't have somebody who can talk intelligently about how to create a real connection with a brand, you're behind the eight ball. You're not gonna get it done. You're, they're gonna walk into a meeting, they're gonna hear your great pitch, and then they're gonna move on to somebody who's competent and who can price it better and, and find the experts. And that's, that's, that's the game. Like you have to be able to have somebody to do it because it's, everywhere now. Everyone's asking about it, and if you don't have it, then you're losing, ultimately. So it, it seems like more and more organizations, sales organizations in podcasting, are developing a process. If, if they don't have someone to, who's dedicated to joining the sales process at that moment that custom content comes up, uh, nevertheless, they've started to think about having a process for how they're going to handle uh, that situation. And, does that demystify it a little bit, Andy? I mean, when, when, uh, when the client says, what about custom? Yeah, I think um, to Jonathan's point, it's not just critical to have one person. You need to have multiple people that can bridge the gap between brands and what they need to get across in their advertising spend and storytelling. Um, if you don't have the resources to have someone dedicated to it, have a couple of people that can pinch hit. We're really, really fortunate to have an incredible team on our custom podcast team that 
that come from all different types of backgrounds that depending if you're working on a L'Oreal skincare pitch or a Volterran GSK gel, you know, we have people who can say, oh, actually, this would be a good idea. So I would highly encourage any publisher, creative company, production company, brand to have multiple people because the more sort of various the inputs, the more complex the outputs you can have. And so I think yeah. you need to have you need to have multiple voices and, and creative thinkers thinking about how to bridge that gap. I, I do think, too, you need diversity in the staff. Like you, when you look at the, how you staff that up, you have to have an agency person who worked on that side. You have to have somebody who understands audio and not just like a video expert. When you have multiple people who have been on every side of the business, uh, a salesperson, an agency person, a, a data person, you can really put together a story that is compelling. When you have one person who is a video expert who's never heard of an RSS feed or an attribution model, um, it really hurts the credibility of, of that meeting. So. Uh, Tom, you uh, unveiled some research on Tuesday for everybody at your event. Um, could you talk a little bit about that for those that weren't there and do you see any way to connect the dots from that to brand it a little bit? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we revealed in the study that we put out on uh, Tuesday with Sounds Profitable after these messages, it was called, uh, with people who were not necessarily fans of a show, the live sort of ad-libbed host read, as you would expect, did really, really well compared to a, a, you know, a more kind of scripted thing or an announcer read. But with fans of the show, uh, they actually all three performed almost equally well because the creative execution of the announcer read form of the ad was, it fit the show, right? It actually, it actually fit the ethos of the show. It didn't break the mood of the show. And the host was a warm introduction to it. Uh, and so I think uh, as you are forcing me to link this to that, Dave. Yes, I am, um, without any notice whatsoever. Yeah, I, like a branded podcast, like anything else, is not going to work on its own, right? But I think the branded podcast is a warm introduction to the brand that something else can complete that sentence, right? An advertising campaign can complete that sentence. And I think that's kind of what we saw in that study, that the, I think the live host read is a great way to say, you know, welcome to this brand. Maybe you should be aware of them. But the announcer read is a consistent way to deliver the features and benefits of that brand to an audience that is already now receptive to it because they've heard the host you know, kind of ad lib about it. So they work in concert and, you know, nothing works great by itself. So I think that's, that's really the key with, uh, with branded podcasts is what's, you know, we, we all say that we, I'm not a salesperson, but, you know, we offer solutions. What is the exact problem? Because if the problem is reach, this is probably not the tool, right? right? Yeah. Uh, what is the exact problem? And for some things, this is the exact solution for that exact problem. And for some things, it's just not. Uh, but it is absolutely works better in concert with something else that does a different thing. Such a great panel. We have just a couple minutes left. Are there any questions, Colin? I, this is uh, rather spontaneous, but any questions that we could get a microphone to out there? You can grab one of our mics. I'm sure we'd let you borrow one. Any questions? We don't have any hands yet anyway, but yeah, there's one. There's a couple. Hi, Adel from uh, Next Broadcast. Uh, you talked about a lot of things today, but nobody talked about uh, being featured by Apple Podcasts because we have the demand from many advertisers 
want that in the discussion? Because it, it does impact a lot your, your downloads. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Uh, repeat it one more time about what, again, we haven't talked about. Being featured on Apple Podcasts. Big, big picture. Being featured, Being featured. Featured on Apple Podcasts. Okay. So you might uh, want to try it, it has Thank a you. direct impact on your download. So we saw it before. As soon as you get featured, you see a peak. So is it discussions you're having with your ah. advertisers who expect that? Yeah, I think we're the, the kind of benefit of having other podcasters or podcasters in general being featured on a branded podcast does come from the audience development that's done by our sales team alongside that. So doing things like a feed drop, doing sponsorship host reads around that is where we're really seeing that burst in audience development. Um, and then we also work with our marketing team. We're working on some TikTok content from one of the podcasts we're in the process of producing. We're also working on a PR plan as well. So it's really a 360 approach, um, but having the right Right people in the room to tell the right stories is a big part of that. Good question. And, and what, you know, Andy says that, uh, you know, we can't really ask Andy this because he's including the production cost in the, uh, in the, the package itself, uh, folding it in there. What percentage of the, let's say compared to the production cost, what percentage, is, how does the uh, the distro, as they say, the promotion of the podcast, how does it compare dollar-wise? Is it uh, as much, more? CB, am I allowed to say this? <laughs> I, think we, I think we try and do like a, like a one to two to one to three ratio. One being the podcast production? The production, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I got to raise my rates. Okay. So, all right. Any other questions? I think there was. Yes, sir. Just shout it. If we, oh, there you go. You got it. Sorry. Um, I, uh, I work for a, uh, a business podcast production firm, and one of the things that we oftentimes run across when we talk to clients is they do want uh, some level of hard metrics in terms of what the podcast did for the company. And I, I'm wondering, are there other metrics besides what you're characterizing as kind of upper funnel metrics, and are there any good case studies or sources of case studies that might kind of be able to show that in a real way? Case studies, other measurements. Yeah, so, so I think the industry as a whole, when it comes to audio, has really matured, um, and attribution is possible now. There's pix pixel tracking, there's companies like Chartable and Podsites that we can attack pixels to the podcast and to the company website and find real correlation to they heard X podcast and they actually went to go visit the website. Um, I wouldn't live and die on those numbers because I do think you know it, it shows that distraction, but there are better ways to track um, real-time attribution on if people are consuming it, and if they are consuming it, have they made the effort to jump to a, a call to action or a website? I also love a listen-through rate. I think that's really powerful. Oh, yeah. If like, folks are spending a lot of time with the content, that means it's probably good. Uh, one more question. We have time. There's one in the back. That, one in the back? Yeah, there's two people back there. That, ah, yes. They're like waving their arms. I was blinded by the light. Uh, hi, great panel. Um, I'm Cody. I work for Sweetfish Media, which is a B2B podcast production company, so even more niche down than some of the branded stuff. So my question was for um, Andy. You were talking earlier about uh, uh, having like a podcast that wanted to reach like 3,000 neurologists or whatever it was. Um, how did you show that that's who you reached when you were doing that? Yeah, I think um, a, a couple of things. One is we have some sophisticated targeting 
uh, capabilities at iHeart. And part of that is just ha owning the pipes to over 650 plus shows and having our own distribution channel and our own first party data through the iHeart app. So that's very, very, very helpful and a luxury that a lot of publishers just don't have. So um, probably not very helpful. Um, but I think I love what Tom said that you have to be okay with some ambiguity in podcasting. We are quickly trying to catch up with a programmatic marketing spend when it comes to the rich data and analytics that you get. Um, but I would say that with our targeting capabilities, knowing the audience and our first party data, that's really where we prove out that we're reaching certain folks. We also uh, are very transparent about the types of spends that we have across certain channels that can prove out, okay, this many uh, of subscribers of this newsletter are actual neurologists. We are reaching this many folks. So it's kind of a mix. It's a little bit of what we call a math magic um, approach to it. So if I may ask, maybe I can't, uh, the first party data that you have, it goes beyond people filling out their name and email address and age if they sign up for your app or for custom services on your app, right? It, yeah, there's, in terms of the form, when you sign up for apps, I think we have 160, 170 million registered users on the app. Um, we capture as much data as they'll give us. It's not something that I, I control or oversee uh, or you know, know how that works. But in terms of what users give us, it's quite rich in the iHeartRadio app. And by agreeing to the app, <laughs> It's All of giving those things that you sign at the end that, yeah. <laughs> that say you are allowing us to use your data. Yes, all of those things. Yeah. Like other apps as well. I'm not picking on you. Okay. I said one last question. I lied. We'll do... Oh, I'm getting the hook. Okay. Hey, thank you very much for coming. What a great panel. Please give me a round of applause for them. So I will end, I will end, I'll put a bow on it that's unnecessary by saying that all forms of content marketing are definitely growing. And as these folks have demonstrated, uh, podcasts, branded podcasts are in that category as well. Thank you for coming.